Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. So excited that you're here today. Today's the 15th of November and uh, just a fantastic conversation. Sometimes we're able to do all of our interviews live and you have a chance to interact with the guests. Sometimes I have to organize these in a way where I'll be here live right now. So if you're uh, watching this and it's uh, happening on November 15th, uh, somewhere around 9.06 a.m. Central Time, uh, I will be here on the chat putting your comments in. So please make your comments. Um, but if you're watching it any other time, just know that this was recorded uh, last week, a uh, conversation with Caleb Campbell. He's the author of a terrific new uh, book and project, really. It's both a book and a podcast and an overall effort called Disarming Leviathan. Now, he'll explain where that term comes from. But what he does is helps people to understand, to engage, and to love their Christian nationalist neighbors, to try to help them to not be Christian nationalists. He does really great work. He's a pastor, pastor at a church in Arizona. Uh, he's right in the, in the heart of it. Uh, his own background, he'll talk about this, where he's come from, uh, his life as a teenager, his own work in, in Christian spirituality, his place on the the, 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 the spectrum of conservative to progressive Christianity, just really great. Uh, and, and frankly, Caleb is just a tremendous person, and uh, I, I like him so very much. We, we met last April, and it took a long time to get this podcast recorded, and for no other reason other than I didn't make it happen. And uh, it's one of the great regrets of my life, and I was telling him that in a text message and then asked him if he'd come on. Um, his book won't be out for a number of months, uh, coming out, I think, with InterVarsity Press, but he has a podcast that's available. I think you're going to benefit from what he's saying right here, right now. Um, so Caleb is a, is a tremendous, a tremendous friend. And uh, we'll start chatting, and he will uh, tell us about the weather uh, there in, in Phoenix, Arizona, where he is. And Alex is in Tampa Bay and has already chimed in with a, with a glorious 74 degrees and a light rain. Just, I mean, I have some friends, Alex, if they could have 74 and rain, their hearts would soar. Uh, uh, here in Minneapolis, it's going to be like 60 today, uh, sunny, beautiful. But when we recorded this, you'll hear about the weather back then. Um, uh, yeah, okay, good morning, Kimberly. Good to see you. And Kimberly got on early today. She will tell you about that sometime. All right, so here's the conversation with, uh, with Caleb. Now, again, this is pre-recorded, um, but I'm going to be monitoring the chat. So if you have things that you want to say in comments, we'll put them up like we have here with Alex and with Kimberly. So we'd love for you to do that. Um, uh, this hour-long conversation with Caleb is worth every minute of it, and uh, I hope you uh, hope you enjoy all of it. So uh, uh, my pleasure to introduce to you Caleb Campbell. Mentioned, it's been a uh, real sense of regret that we haven't done this sooner. So uh, very glad to have you on the podcast, and really excited about the work that you're doing and all that you're up to. We always chat about the weather, my friend. Yes, even though we're recording this one ahead of time. Outside here in Minneapolis, it's uh, cloudy, like 39, and cool, mm-hmm. wet. <laughs> How is it there in the be- in the beautiful desert air of the Ah, uh, yes, the Sonoran Desert uh, loves the winter. It's a beautiful 76 degrees with just a, a slight wind <laughs> uh, just to keep it so you can wear your jacket. Yeah, so this, this is the best time of year to be in Phoenix. Yeah, because people in Phoenix, when it hits seventy six, they're like, "Oh, it's a, getting to be a little chill in the air. Let's throw a let's throw a light jacket on." Um, yeah, at at sixty eight degrees, we pull out parkas. That's right. That's right. Finally, get to put that put that big jacket on. Yeah, twice a year. Look at, look at in the closet. 
Uh, hey, g- give a little background. As, as I said in the intro to this, you, you're doing great work as a pastor. You're doing really great work um, on uh, thinking about approaching Christian nationalism from a way that I think is really fresh, which is both deep understanding and deep empathy, two yeah. things that I think are crucial to all of this. Um, e- either either start talking about why why you do do it the way you do it, or tell us your background and how you got into it, because both of those are topics that I really want to explore with you. So let's sure. you, you pick either one of those you want to go with first. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe my story. So I uh, have been serving uh, as a pastor at a non-denominational church in suburban Phoenix since 2006 and um, stepped into the lead pastor role in 2015. And then 2016 happened. And there is this huge... Um, kind of uh, volcanic eruption around politics and ideology that frankly, I was not at all expecting. I just really didn't see it coming. And I remember coming into uh, our office at the church uh, the day after the election, and some of my staff members were very upset, uh, even crying, and others were overjoyed and celebrating. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be like harder than I thought it was. And so uh, in that season, post-2016, you know, we we would lean into things that we had talked about um, for decades. Our congregation's 47 years old right now, I think. And so for decades, we had talked about immigration, care for refugees. We had had ministries that would do that. But now, talking about immigration, I started getting like resistance in the lobby. Like people would kind of come up and kind of put their fingers in my chest, like, hey, don't you talk about that liberal communist stuff or, um, you know, you're being anti-Trump by saying you should care for refugees. And for the first few years, I was it was kind of like a slow drip, but I, I was shocked because I wasn't, I didn't perceive myself as making a political attack. I was just doing what we had been doing. Uh, we'd talk about racism and uh, reconciliation yeah. and, it was like like I would do the same sermons that I had done, you know, 2014, 2013. And, it, you know, back then it was like, you know, wonderful, wonderful. And now it's like, hey, you know, knock it off with that stuff. And, yeah. You know, yeah. get back to the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it, it was really confusing. And, and, you know, over that four years, we just had a, a steady stream of folks that, that, I, that knew me, that I knew. Mm. I mean, I'd been in their house, prayed for their kids buried their parents, did their wedding, uh, using enemy language about me. Like, hey, you've you've gone off the deep end. You're like a bad seed, bad influence. Um, wow. You know, it, it, more recently, it's like woke. Uh, it, you know, that's um, let's see the other one. My favorite was uh, that you've imbibed a Luciferian spirit of fear. And uh, I did Luciferian you know, yeah, fear. So I had to like Google it real quick. Yeah. I kind of went to the side room and pulled out my smartphone and Google. Turns out it's Lucifer, like a like a satanic spirit of fear. And wow. uh, commun. I, I remember in one week I got called a communist and a fascist in the same week. And I thought we need to have a church meeting for everyone to kind of figure out which one it's going to be because you can't. I don't think you can do both of those. Right. Right. Um, and I was just confused cause I'm like, well, p- everyone just pick one so I can figure that out. Yeah. And then 2020 hits and, um, it was Friday the 13th of March when our governor was like, Hey, we should mm-hmm. like stay home, slow the spread thing. And, uh, that was 
pretty difficult to try to navigate uh, for me as a pastor. I mean, our, our board and everything, we, I think we spent 16 hours on the phone just trying to figure it out because it was new to us and we didn't understand. And three weeks later, we had some folks who were saying, hey, we need to open back up. Like we need to, we need to re, reopen the church. Like in April. April 2020. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, you're talking just a few weeks after. And I remember, first of all, thinking like the church is open, like the, the, like according to the right. Bible, like the big room gathering, you've heard us say for 20 years, the big room gathering right. is not the church. Yeah. And this is just a great opportunity to do like Acts chapter two, you know. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of resistance. And we said, no, we're, we're not doing that. Um, but But some folks gathered and did a live stream like YouTube live stream protest service on our property. <laughs> These are like people I've pastored, you know? Is that right? Inside the building or were they outside? No, no, no. They, they, you know, this is all locked down, but they were outside and okay. really wanted to make a point. And that was strange to me that, that, that this idea of like, hey, we're trying to make sure grandma doesn't get hurt mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. was then received as some kind of like we're the government has more authority than Jesus or, you know, it's just, there was this perception. And yeah. so I was so confused. Uh, and then when Floyd was murdered, I mean, this was on the, like the way that it hit our congregation was yeah. it was, I think Brianna Taylor came first. Then the news of Ahmaud Arbery, I think came second and we responded to those. And then Floyd was murdered. And that, that was really, um, obviously all over the news and all over our people's minds and social media screens. So we responded to it and we did a seven week sermon series that addressed uh, race and reconciliation. And that was viewed as some kind of capitulation to a demonic movement. Wow. Hmm. Um, and that was strange to me. I, I thought, man, we've been talking about this stuff for right. D yeah. decades um we're not doing anything new but the context had changed and one of the things that had changed was that many of the people that i was pastoring uh i had ceased to be their pastor and they were now being pastored by talking heads on a screen who were telling them um that if your pastor uses the phrase social justice he's evil or something yes. and mm -hmm. i've used like quoting John Stott and the Luzanne co covenant, I've used the phrase yeah. social justice in seminary. So it, so it just like, it just kept hitting. And these were not strangers. Probably Doug, the most painful thing for me is like, these are people, they know me. And I felt like yeah. I knew them. And then you get to the election and then January 6th and we stayed the course. And uh, that year, it was the hardest year of my life. I got, I got COVID early, then I got shingles, then I had facial paralysis. Uh, so um, I didn't know about half my part. face didn't work for a few weeks and it was all corollary to fatigue and sickness. And wow. I remember going into the doctor and he was like, oh, you have Ramsey Hunt syndrome. You're, it, it might come back, um, but are you under stress? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, dude, I'm under a lot of stress. So. Uh, for me, that was a season where I, I was like ready to quit, told my board, I don't like, I, I don't think right. I want to do this anymore. And our board was awesome. They were like, what's making it hard. And I said, like, I've got like over 300 people who are calling me their enemy. And yeah, I don't know what to do with that. And it's all kind of, I feel like it's bad faith, assault and attack. And they were great. Cause they were like, well, first of all, you're an idiot. 
because uh, we're here and why don't we hear like you should just let us do all that stuff. Oh, so they said go. good for them for, for the next year. You're not allowed to answer any more of those emails or phone calls. Like if you get one, your next step, you don't even reply to them. You send it to us. Hmm. So that was huge. And then oh, the nice. second thing was they said, why are people upset? And, and I said, well, it's over, you know, it's over. Uh, Fauci and face masks. It's over yeah. Floyd and it's over the federal election. And yeah. see what you did there. Like, you did there yeah. as a preacher. You're alliterating yes, this you thing know. already into four Fs. So the so the board was like, well, we all made these decisions together. You didn't do them by yourself, mm -hmm. and we felt like we were called by God to do them. And so put your foot on the gas. And they were really like, hey, listen, are you guys? Are you and the staff smart enough to? like be bivocational for a season if you need to. Yeah. Um, like we don't have debt. So like we own the property outright, we can rent the property for extra income. So even if all the donors leave because we stood by our convictions, um, we have nothing to lose. So all put right. your foot on the gas. Wow. And, and again, this is a 47 year old non-denominational Bible church in the suburban area yeah, of Phoenix. Right. So I was like, Oh, I'm into this. Like, hey, that, so like, at this point, are you talking with other pastors from your same network of people, and are they experiencing similar things and handling it differently? Like, are you not only squared on to your community, but hearing other stories that are either encouraging or freaking you out? Yeah, yeah. So some of the some of my peers were they were, we were kind of in lockstep. Like, let's get out ahead of this stuff. We're going to address it. We're going to, you know, in a some sense, be prophetic. Yep. Uh, in in the sense of like calling it like it is. Yep. Most of my peers, I think, were just caught off guard, uncertain as to what actually was happening, yeah. um, uncertain of how or unaware of how deep the rot was in their congregations. Yeah. And at the same time, some were getting what I call quitted, where they get pressure from the board to quit. Instead of being fired, you get quitted for doing something as little as not endorsing the favored candidate of the yeah. board the, yeah. the, the, for the election. In that case, you know, it was Donald, in that case, it was Donald yeah. Trump specifically. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Pastor so-and-so, you didn't endorse Trump from the stage, which kind of tells us you're going liberal and we're not about that. So out you go. And there, you know, there's a handful of folks from that early season that it happened quick more so now yeah. in 2023 Unbelievable Where, for a lot of people to realize it's still happening. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. The great yeah. quit it um, is going on. So I I was reinvigorated, took a sabbatical, board was very good to me, um, encouraging, you know, counseling, healing, a season away, came back and was just ready to go. Like I'm ready to like fight. And I had put together like at that time, January 6th was probably the first time I remember hearing Christian nationalism as anything real. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'd probably heard about it before, but like in the news, you know, and people are talking about it. And so uh, early 22, I, I'm thinking like, all right, Christian nationalism, I got to get after it. And where I'm at, um, I'm down the street from a large mega church that hosts uh, massive rallies where they promote from the stage Christian nationalism. Yeah. Um, on the other side of our congregation, about 10 miles is another controversial megachurch pastor 
who yeah, is Mark, now Mark Driscoll. That yep, one. that's the one. Uh, who's now fully promoting uh, Christian nationalism? Uh, Carrie Lake ran her campaign yeah. uh, for uh, governor, uh, and just was like blatantly like, "Yeah, I'm pro Christian nationalist." Yes. So it wasn't like like, and I was um, I wasn't trying to put that label on people. These are people who are self-identifying. For sure. Mm -hmm. And so I set out then, okay, this is infecting people in my community. The fruit of it is toxic. It's combative. It's fear-mongering. It's anxious. So what am I going to do about it? And I approached it first as a heresy to defeat. I thought if I could just out-Bible these people, <laughs> Uh, they'll change. They'll see the way of truth more clearly. Yeah. And I was ready to fight them. You took a theological tack on this, yep. this issue. Yep. Sure. Yeah. I thought that the problem was here. Mm -hmm. And if I could just show them the Bible, uh, mm -hmm. argue, then I'll win. And I, uh, so that's what I set out to do. And then I had a meeting uh, with a person who represents a, a massive multi-million dollar Christian nationalist organization uh who's the church she was the church like relations director for the state or something wanted to meet with me uh because i am the center of their bullseye for types of pastors they want to you know i'm a suburban white yeah make right. you know like guy evangelical um and i met with this person and i was ready to fight i had all my like theological points i'm i'm just gonna 20 minutes or less, I will dismantle your theological construct of Christian nationalism. And I was expecting a, a curmudgeon-y, bitter, fear-mongering, you know, mean-spirited person to walk in the room. No, it's this lovely, effervescent young lady who brought me a Dutch bros and just lively and, and i was i mean i just start like okay I, yeah i don't want to fight with this person and then uh this this person she said we talked a lot about their curriculum because they wanted to start their biblical patriotism class at our church so i said can i see the curriculum so they give it all to me and she signed me up as a coach so i i was actually doing some undercover work in some of these organizations yeah. at the time and tending the rallies and zoom calls and whatever and she, so we're talking and she's saying crazy things. You know, she's saying things like, um, you know, Pastor Caleb, we have to defend what the Bible says about gun rights. Yeah. And I'd say, what, what does the Bible say about gun rights? And of course, well, you know, you are a pastor and I'm like, okay. And you yes. know, Pastor Caleb, we have to, we have to fight for what the Bible says about school choice and school vouchers. And I'm like, all right, I know. So just things that the Bible doesn't address. Right, of course. And so we talked a good long while, and then she said something that this changed my life. She says, uh, politics is really important. At the end of the day, I just want to follow Jesus. And I said, oh, yeah, me too. Like, how did you start following Jesus? Oh, last year at a Turning Point USA rally. Mm -hmm. And I, boom, it just zapped in my heart. Yeah, like, yeah. this is not... A, a people to fight. They're not enemy combatants to clobber. This is a mission field to reach. And the problem isn't here, it's in here. And if I want to see people change here, I've got to approach, I've got to move from here to here. 
Mm-hmm. And that kind of set me on this journey of approaching Christian nationalists as a mission field to reach, um, as opposed to like an enemy to defeat. Yeah. So, so you did spend time uh, around groups like this, both in, I mean, you referred to it here as, see that little thing that's popping up, that little thumb over there? Okay. Oh, what's that? Did you see it? I don't know. It's, it's a new feature inside of the Apple operating system. Okay. Like for FaceTime and stuff. So certain hand gestures are supposed to trigger certain things to happen. And it just happens randomly on these live streams. Um, so if, if a bunch of balloons just come floating down, wow. uh, it's, it's just our random moment of, of fun. I like to, now I'm going to try to make some sort of, you know, attribution of, of the divine just chiming in <laughs> at, at certain points, balloons and thumbs up and, and some things. I'm into it. So you, you were, uh, looking into Christian nationalism, trying to understand it. And I know I've heard you say that, you know, you were sort of undercover yes. doing this, but, um, but you were doing that sincerely. Like you, you, your approach was really to understand and to recognize that people, people believe things for reasons that are very important to them. They, they might not hold weight with someone else, but to that person, that belief functions in their life in a way that's quite powerful and meaningful. That's especially things that they're willing to feel and counter with, you know, uh, uh, in opposition with people that care for them, you know, not just a random belief about a sports team they grew up rooting for, but something that feels important. Like that's a, that's a big difference uh, for a lot of people who approach Christian nationalism as a political problem to be solved or a power sharing problem kind of thing. Um, uh, um, okay. Let me ask you this. I, I, I want to sure. put up the cover, the, the cover of your book. Um, oh, you, you put this out on, uh, on the website called X. So I'm guessing it's okay to be public with it. Mm-hmm. You, yep. You've now taken this idea. You have a podcast by the same title, Disarming Leviathan, which you can talk yep. about in, in a minute. And the, the book, uh, is a cross with a cover of the book is a cross with a snake wrapped around it. Very provocative and a bunch of stars. Great, great looking cover, I think. And then on the, on the horizontal a bar of the of the cross is the subtitle, which got to tell you, gutsy move to just utilize <laughs> utilize the free space on the cross for a, for a subtitle. Love it. Um, loving your Christian nationalist neighbor. Yeah. Um, not confronting Christian nationalism. Not defeating Christian nationalism. Not standing right. up for democracy. Not uh, uh, returning the the church to its its right place in in politics loving your christian nationalist neighbor there's a lot in that i mean loving's important the assumption that you have christian nationalists who are neighbors um, mm-hmm. framing it in love your neighbor narrative um, mm-hmm. you know good samaritan kind of stuff uh is 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 really something is is that your uh, all of this that you've been describing here this this deep empathy for deep understanding mission field kind of language is that just who you are or did you have to like get yourself up for this? Do you have to develop up some new skills or you just like, "Ah, this is, I'm just kind of doing the Caleb thing on this, on this, this deal. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I had to tone down the radical desire for justice, things to be right. Um, That's my natural tendency. If something's broken, something's wrong, all my insides are like, we got to get this thing fixed. And so my animation or my energy was around like, I just got to like 
slap these people on the back of the head and get this thing fixed so we can get back to the way we can get back to Eden. Yeah. Uh oh, I think I might have lost you on the camera. No, <laughs> uh, you're frozen, but I still hear you. So it's now it's just super okay. creepy. I don't know why that's happening. I can. I think my camera just turned off. Uh, oh, did it get tired? Did the battery? I think out? it did get tired. It got tired of my rhetoric. Are we able to pause <laughs> and I can switch out the thing? Sure, or do ahead. you want me to keep going with just no. audio? No, you yeah, switch out the thing. No problem at all. Okay. I will. Hold on. Sorry. I, <laughs> I will either. I will either make the cuts or, as is typically our fashion, I'll just leave it all in. And people will, Listen, people will I'll just, now yeah, I'll say if we do decide, if I do decide to leave this in, it's likely just out of sheer laziness on my front. I um, know that about you. I feel like I, you didn't even have to say that out loud. Yeah. I come from a family of, of, uh, layabouts and, uh, I'm chief <laughs> among them. Uh, uh, but it's also, you know, if, if I, if I edit, do decide to edit it out, then, um, people miss out on the live stream feature of all of this. And one of the things we think is valuable in, in, in the work we do at Vote Common Good is to just show people that you can do the work you're doing in just the most normal, straightforward, you know, honest camera, always on kind of fashion. You don't have to craft everything to its, to its perfect. Uh, exactly. Now I'm not trying to be a celebrity here. Now, will 80% of people who are watching this finally go off because they don't want to listen to us ramble and see an EOS webcam utility screen? Yeah, probably. But, you know, <laughs> easy come, easy go, you know. Uh, I'm that. dealing with 10-year-old equipment over here, Doug. All right. All right. Maybe. Look at that. Maybe. Yeah, but look, the... the people say this all the time. It's not if you, it's not if you get knocked down, it's, can you get back? <laughs> it's not if your web camera, if your camera runs out of batteries because somehow it wasn't plugged in or, or the battery just went out. Yeah. It's I'm just noticing time, somebody took the cord. <laughs> in, there it is. Cause there's probably, somebody's probably looking for USB-C. It's uh, yeah. Uh, but the, the real question is, can you just pivot and grab another camera and get it plugged in right in flow? And you did that. So it's, you got back up. Uh, you know what, Doug? Turned into an when I get knocked down, I get up again. Get up again. And you're, you're never going to that. Me down. Uh, I oh. get knocked down, and I get up again. <laughs> and you're going to do that until that one last time where you get knocked down and you don't actually get up again. But that's, well, yeah, winter yeah. is coming. Some point, and all of us end up going into the grave. So, certainly. so, so you were saying you you need to dig in. You you needed to set aside one set of natural responses justice oriented, fix things, make it right, yep. use logic, rationale and information to enlighten people yep. of what they're clearly missing. This empathy thing, how did that, how, did, like, how's that going? Are you, are you like, yeah, it's great. I feel like you're a, you're a beginner at this. Do you feel like, no, this was always in there. How, how's this silly? It, uh, I, it was always in there. Uh, and here is the switch. Uh, I want justice against my enemies. And I want healing for those I'm work my neighbors. And for me, it was the switch of taking Christian nationalism and those that promote it and those that imbibe it and moving them from the category mm. of enemy into the category of neighbor. Mm. Uh, that was the biggest shift is this. And, and, and one of the things too, is the realization like they're me. Yeah. Uh, the, the people who are in my mission field, they're me. The, this is the fundamental thing. What they are feeling anxiety and fear, and they're reaching for the sword, which is yeah. exactly what I do. 
when I feel afraid, when I feel fear, when I feel like something that's valuable to me is under imminent threat, my natural instinct is power up, go get, go get a sword. And now their sword is red, white, and blue and smells like apple pie. Mine might be different. It's the same temptation is yeah, when presented with the cross or the sword, my instinct is to go for the sword. Mm. And so when I realized oh, they're not really, they're not doing anything different than what I do. It's just got different expression. Uh, that was helpful. Uh, I think to increase empathy within my own heart, because it's like, yeah, we're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they, and, and also they can help me see what it looks like for me to grasp onto the sword. Uh, so they're not less than me. They're not other than me. Um, right. They're just like me and I'm just like them. Yeah. And that's that, beautiful. that was a big shift. Yeah. One, one of the, we were in a conversation, uh, with two people a week ago in this, in this podcast stream, we, we do a thing called red hat, blue hat talk, where I talk with an ongoing life long friend of mine, who's a Trump supporter and he takes a red hat position. I take a blue hat position and we talk basically every other week and his daughter, uh, college age daughter, who's, um, going to work for turning point USA, uh, yeah. is, um, was, was on the podcast. She's a college student. All this stuff's public. I'm not breaking any rule. I mean, we did a live stream when everything I'm about to tell you was there. And one of the things that, that we were talking about was, well, I was saying to them kind of, um, the impulse to be generous with people you disagree with is important for a lot of reasons. And one of those important reasons is you are going to be that person in your own life 10 years from now about something that matters to you. God willing, you will grow and develop in some ways that you will think things differently in 10 years right. than you do right now about issues that matter to you. And if you don't have a capacity to be gen generous with yourself, you will have a hard time looking back on yourself now. And that kind of internal struggle uh, amongst, you know, same thing in families and with neighbors, but it also happens inside of all of us. And Caleb, I am convinced that most people's reaching for the sword is they're trying to defeat something in themselves. Mm. Like the more insecure any of us become about something, it is an internal narrative that is driving that, right? It is, it is like internal human, you know, whether you call it human flourishing work or spiritual formation, it's, but it's that same thing, right? It's that capacity mm -hmm. for a human being to to be this way. So, so there's so many benefits, you know, to loving your neighbor and loving your enemy and loving, loving yourself, right? Yeah, Equally, right. because all of those are characters that you're having to deal with who don't behave in the way you want them to behave, right? Your enemies don't, yeah. your neighbors don't, and you don't. And mm -hmm. that's the, I don't know, I, I feel like that's the essence of it. And that feels like the rending that's happening in our society. And I personally mm -hmm. believe that characters like Donald Trump, particularly, do everything in their power to gin that up, right? Other people yep. do it too. I'm not saying he's the only one, but he's a particular one that shouldn't be able to do that as the president of the United States. Um, that's right. not the role that we, somebody shouldn't be doing it, doing that in that role, right? That's, right. that's, that's, that's one of the pieces. Of, and hey, there's many... on that, on that note, can I, can, can I raise something that, that I, I saw you're doing that was really confusing to me? And, and, uh, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be rude to you or anything else, but could you explain this to me? Sure. No pastor I know, and I know a lot, uses their Twitter profile 
like this. I'm thankful today oh, for yeah. South Scottsdale Presbyterian Church and their faithful witness in ministry. And then 21 hours earlier, today I'm giving thanks for Desert City Church, Arizona, and their yeah. great work. And I'm thankful for Phoenix. Every day you put a tweet out on X, which we do, you know, no shame on that. Maybe a little bit. Use an X. But you're spending your time on that social media platform telling people about how great other churches down the street from you are. Yeah. I've never seen a pastor act in such ways. Oh. Explain yourself, Reverend. <laughs> what? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's like November's like the Thanksgiving November thing where it's like 30 days of thankfulness. So I've been doing this for a few years and um, I'm a huge uh, believer in the church ecosystem that every every area or region has an ecosystem of churches which manifest in different life forms. So liturgical, you know, urban, suburban, big, small, Methodist, Catholic, whatever. Um, but it's all just manifestations of life of the spirit. Remarkable. And if I'm if I view myself as an enemy or competition to the other life forms in my ecosystem, I actually kill myself. Right, you call the predator. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a, health, a healthy ecosystem, all is sharing resources, is using the unique things about their life form expression to to actually give gifts to the other nice. forms of life in the ecosystem. So this uh, this is one expression of how I strive to live. Um, and Doug, you know what else too? It's also job security. Because if I get fired from Desert Springs, at least these people like me and I can become totally. an associate pastor. Totally. Or you could just do pulpit fill at you know all the churches. You got yeah, 30 churches. It. Yeah. <laughs> or or <laughs> I could be, I, I've heard people say that they're uh, pastor to pastors. Mm. And I actually want to be the person who pastors the pastors to pastors. To the pastors, yes. You see? Like Great. top of the pyramid. Yeah, yeah. That's well, <laughs> that's what well I'm played. Well, uh, look, man, that is uh, that is fantastic. I don't know if other people do it. Do any of those churches not want you doing it? Do you ever get a little uh, straightforward or side comment where people are like, oh. "Hey, hey, you're not the kind of you're not the kind of church I want <laughs> cheering us on." Well, I know. I mean, uh, these are all friends of mine. I mean, I have a relationship okay. with with as many church leaders as I can in Phoenix. Yeah. Well, impressive. Impressive. Uh, and, and look, so, and that, that's kind of what I was getting at, right? Like when I saw that you do that, you're doing that now in November and you've been doing that for a while, that, that tells me that there's something uh, about you, um, that wants you to stick with it. Can we talk about your own background and how you, yeah. that, that serves some of this, you know, when I was doing that little, uh, repeat sermon there of, we have to think about, you know, how we treat people we disagree with because it's ultimately mm -hmm. going to prepare us to care for ourselves. Um, you know a version of that story that's um, as pointed as um, you know pretty much anybody I know. Yeah. So, are you talking about the skinhead thing? <laughs> no, I didn't know about the skinhead thing. What are you talking? Yeah. So, I'm talking about the skinhead thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, was, that, was... that your your own your own transition, conversion, transformation story is one in which you have a very definitive background that you now look back on and say it's different than. Yeah, the world that yeah for sure. In. Yeah, so as a kid, I was raised in a pretty conservative home, kind of fundamentalisty church, uh, which I I really, especially like junior high age, really grew to resent because what was being said on Sunday wasn't being done on Monday, and I felt like it was plain as day. 
And so junior high just stopped, stopped doing church stuff. Parents couldn't really make me go anymore. High school age, freshman, sophomore, fell in with a group of neo-Nazi skinheads, um, and which I just started hanging out with. And then they kind of discipled me into um, the movement. And a lot of it was around safety, belonging, and purpose. Uh, they promised me safety. You know, we protect each other mm -hmm. from the big scary world. Belonging, you're one of us. You're a brother, brotherhood. Um, you know, the ideology of white supremacy was really, for most of us on the front end, was really only in service of the belonging. Huh. Um, you, you know, it wasn't like I sat down with like a book or something and reason myself into neo-Nazi white supremacy. That kind of came later. What was offered first, what was really attractive first was safety, belonging, purpose. Uh, and so, you know, again, you belong here, we'll protect each other. It's a brotherhood purpose. We're going to preserve um, the white race and we're going to preserve the, you know, a future for white children. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll say that stuff. Uh, so I can continue to belong right, and right. have safety. And then you find your, at least for me, I found myself kind of imbibing it. And it's like, yeah, 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 that's what we believe. That's what we believe. That's what I believe. And it happens over time, very much like any sort of discipleship process. Mm -hmm. um, and I got out of it. I didn't go to college, but in that, when I, sh I guess, should have been going to college, um, I started looking around and noticing that there weren't very many wealthy, successful, retired skinheads. And that for me just raised a little, hold on, is what we're saying uh, not lining up with what's happening? Again, very similar to my junior wow. high self looking at the church saying what's being said and what's being done are not congruent. Uh, and here, this ideology of like master race and stuff, it's like everyone I know is like getting shot, going to jail or, or, or prison or, or prison or, or, or leaving the country because they've got a warrant out for their arrest. Wow. And so I started falling away from that. And it was through and that variety of circumstances uh, was connected um, to a church that asked me to come play drums for them. And uh, I, so I just said, OK. Uh, and I was lonely. I was looking for safety, belonging, purpose. And one of the band members, uh, who's now uh, one of my closest friends, um, he and his wife started having me over for dinner like once a week. And this was crazy. He says, uh, yeah, you know, we'll have a couple beers. We'll have some nice meal. Um, and then afterwards, you can tell you, we could talk about what makes you angry about Christianity and religion. And I was like sold. I got material for days. And looking back on that, what they did by inviting me in and listening to my crazy talk, because I had lots of crazy stuff and rage and toxic anxiety. And he would, they would just sit there mm -hmm. and suffer through it. And then they would say, oh, you make some good points. And they're very humanizing, but it was their hospitality and their compassion and just the fact that they would listen to me that I recognized that after a year I had changed but they never said to me, here's exactly how you need to change. They right. just were modeling for me uh, what I now understand to be the way of Jesus. Um, they, they didn't try to correct all my mistakes or my errant beliefs. The other thing that was so important is uh, they kept inviting me back in. And that's my story. And I think for those that are imbibing Christian yeah. nationalism, it, it's that that's the play. Like, I think that's the play 
uh, as we think about the people that we know and love that are yeah. full in on this stuff is you got to keep the table open. Right. And you really have to like the people, you know, in the center of a lot of our work and the work that I do is it truly just is people don't need you to be like them mm-hmm. for, for them to give you uh, access to their life, but they do want to know that you like them. And while these friends of yours, new burgeoning friendships or mentorship or whatever this was, they weren't like you. They weren't like, oh yeah, Caleb, we oh, agree. No. They were nothing no. probably in a lot of ways, maybe nothing like you, but you probably, taking from your story, believed that they liked you, mm-hmm. you know, they might love everyone universally the way God does, but they also liked you and let yep. you come into their house and got to know each other and lived in a vibe with each other and appreciated you. And that's the thing. And any of us who think that we're going to do interpersonal work with family members or neighbors or strangers or coworkers, and you're going to have some influence on their life on things that matter. Again, pick your topic, but in this case, Christian nationalism or how we're going to live in the country with each other. If you don't actually like the people, probably should step back a bit from trying to influence, (laughs) trying to influence them. Because when you're trying to influence someone and you don't like them, it doesn't take long for that to show, right? <laughs> Any of us who've been on the receiving end of that, we, yes. we kind of know. <laughs> well, and what you're hitting on is the difference between a good faith missionary and a colonizer. Uh, a, 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 an honest to God, like good faith missionary, and I know a lot of missionaries get a bad rap, but it's someone who wants to enter into the space of others and simply share with them what yeah. they believe is good news. They're not yeah. trying to make them become like them. They're saying, in your own way, live out this, this faith that I found. A colonizer says, you need to be, I've come from a, a distant land, I'm coming to you, and now you need to be like me. And a, a missionary that hates the culture they're trying to reach yes. is a colonizer. Yes. And so if you are disgusted with Aunt Betty and her Lee Greenwood CDs and her American flag uh, quilt cover for her Bible and her... Uh, spades group that meets at Cracker Barrel every week and the tchotchkes that she has hanging on the wall that says faith, family, and friends and the, the painting of George Washington praying at Concord. If you, if you feel in your heart disgust, you may be a colonizer. And so 98% of the work is not in them. It's actually in me. I've got to develop the muscle and the wherewithal and the capacity to carry the distance between us even when I find the things yes. that they're doing distasteful. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, it's not about agreement. And I know a lot of people in my world and uh, the world I run around in are like, but I, I don't want to be a comp. There becomes a thing that sounds a lot like fundamentalists and the world that I'm uh-huh. in, uh, like conservative fundamentalists where they're like, I don't want to accommodate or I don't want to traffic in that, or I don't want to shop at a store where their things aren't I'm like, that's the same story of people who want yeah, to right. separate and demand. And, yep. um, and look, I am not saying that everyone needs to spend their time trying to help. Would you say Aunt Betty? Sure. The, yep. Was that the name you used? Because I literally had uh-huh. an Aunt Betty. Um, ah. So I'm like, did I just remember wrong because I have an Aunt Betty? Um, it, not everybody needs to reach Aunt Betty. Right. Um, but if you actually, and maybe you could get to, in, maybe some people could get to indifference before they get to liking, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you have anything short of indifference... <laughs> Yeah. Right. I would challenge someone to at least get to likability uh, of someone or s- seeing some charm or seeing something there. If your, f- if your reaction is to be, if people's reactions are fear, which is true and real, 
or serious anxiety or just an internal rage, those are just indicators. That's an allergic reaction that tells you that consuming that, you know, metaphorically consuming that food is not good for you. Right. Um, you should not be getting irritable bowel, irritable bowel syndrome from interactions with people. And if you are, that's probably telling you that it's, that's yep. not your, that's not your spice profile. Like get, right. get, get out of that. And, but I think we could develop the capacity to like more people than we do. And I actually think uh, something we're trying to work on in our, in our overall project is, is there actually a way to develop via empathy, the capacity to like people that we disagree mm. with? Right. Like, um, could you, but, but I mean, this is hard because some people, they don't like anybody. They don't like people they do. Agree <laughs> with. They, they don't like people they love. They, you know, you right. know, there's right. a, there's a pandemic of not liking people and kind of being like, that's okay. And it might be, I don't know, maybe, maybe people's lives are better if they're not going around trying to, and I'm not talking about being liked by them at all. I'm actually right. talking about the reverse of that, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I'm guessing that's what you're getting at with, with the book, when people buy the book, when it comes out. And do you have a release date yet on the book? Uh, should be quarter two of next year. So between April and June-ish. Okay. Um, when people can get their hands uh, on the on the book, is that the kind of thing that they, if they're into that little rant that I was just going on there, is that the kind of thing the book would be helpful in? Yeah. So thanks for asking. Yeah. The book kind of gives a street level understanding of what American Christian nationalism is. Uh, and then it talks uh, shifts to uh, exactly what you and I are talking about, which is uh, the work that needs to be done on me if I'm going to engage American Christian nationalists. Um, so just reframing our thinking, reframing our hearts. Um, and then uh, kind of the final space is uh, being students of culture. So how do you be curious about the American Christian nationalists in your life as opposed to suspicious? Um, leading through asking questions. And then it gives a, kind of a field guide on having uh, conversations mm -hmm. with uh, Aunt Betty or your coworker or a fellow student uh, who seems to be kind of imbibing and propagating what you might think is crazy talk or rage or hate speech. Um, you know, instead of arguing head to head, how do you get heart to heart with someone uh, in order to be truly curious about what's going on? And then some humbly subversive questions that we can just ask folks um, to be thinking about with us about how we might think about how the way of Jesus in, impacts the conversation that we're having about whatever the spicy issue is. Great. Well, we spent a lot of time on the subtitle, which is, you know, loving your Christian nationalist neighbor. Let's talk yep. about the title. Let's talk about the title for a minute, which is not only the title yeah. of the book, but also the title of, of your podcast, mm -hmm. Disarming Leviathan. Uh, yes. There's a phrase not everybody uses every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not the disarming. What is Leviathan? Why do you use it? And and what, what does it conjure up? Yeah. So disarming Leviathan, first of all, sounds like a heavy metal album, uh, which is exactly what I was going for. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah. But the second, the, really though, the, the working metaphor is this biblical idea of this of uh, this dragon, this uh, chaos monster that exists in the deep abyss. And in the, in the ancient imagination, they had this idea that there's the orderly ways of God and then the mm. chaos evil that kind of can creep nice. into our lives. It was, nice. you'd see it in like the serpent in the garden or the beast and dragon in the book of Revelation, but also in scripture as the Leviathan. 
And, and this is where it hits on our piece, is that humans, especially political leaders, can give themselves over to, in the mm. biblical imagination, uh, the means or the ways of Leviathan, stirring up chaos, anxiety, outrage, in order to garner more power. And this Leviathan beast, um, it's, it's always on the prowl, and human leaders, uh, especially military and political leaders in the scriptures, uh, are often leveraging it. Hmm to grow their own in, in such a way that some leaders are even referred to as beasts or Leviathan type figures. Right. So it's a, it's kind of a, a way of thinking about how one can harness chaos, evil, uh, to gain power. And the disarming part comes in. Um, it has its, it can have its claws on people. So American Christian nationalism is, a is addicted to sword power thinking if we could just stir up enough chaos and evil, then we can actually, have power and might. Um, and as a follower of Jesus, I find that that, that is, it sounds like it's powerful, yeah. but in the end, it's actually the way of the lamb, not the way of the dragon. It's the way of the cross, not the sword. So the disarming piece is disarming Leviathan's power uh, as it has its grip on our own hearts and maybe on the hearts of our mm. neighbors, friends, family, loved ones. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a great uh, metaphor and a great narrative there and and hopefully the title maybe you found this to the podcast too and I know you had little cards when I was with you in April uh, with the title of the book it causes people to ask what what is that and then you get to right. describe it right and it's yeah. like that's the that's the slide of hand trick right mm -hmm. where um, people have to ask what it's um, what it's really about now you, know, you come from self-identifyingly from a, a moderate to conservative version of Christianity evangelical Christianity mm -hmm. is that is that fair. Yeah, I'd say I'm I'm a, uh, a a Bebbington evangelical in the sense of a historic evangelical, not a post '80s uh, Jerry Falwell evangelical. So okay. high view of scripture, uh, personal conversion experience with Jesus, um, and then also social action uh, that the scripture compels us to be engaged in society for the common good. And and you engage in a world in which. Uh, more conservative evangelical pastors are comfortable with you for the most part. I mean, that's, it's always, <laughs> yeah. it's always a spectrum where, where like right. someone like me, right. Come from a progressive side of the evangelical world mm -hmm. um, and talk about that all the time. I say I'm a progressive evangelical, like there's progressive Catholics and, you know, progressive Muslims and so on. Um, the, the, how does this stuff, how is this stuff going over in that, in that world where people tend to be, more conservative or the way you talk about the Bible, they feel more comfortable with, even though I think you're a little more sneaky than they often know, but that might just be me, uh, uh you know, um, uh, projecting a bit. H how is that going over when you're having these conversations with people who are in spaces? Because here's what I hear from a lot of more conservative Christians, evangelicals. Yeah. They'll say things like Christian nationalism is a real problem. I'm glad it's not us they somehow <laughs> feel like it's someone else. They'll often yeah. blame it on the charismatic Pentecostal traditions, which is yeah, true. Uh -huh. There's an awful lot of it that goes on there. That's where it's funded. But they'll often be like, well, that's not, that's not us and our, our people. Yeah. Um, right. And so sometimes these folks can be like, so I don't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to burn down the work I'm doing or spend my right. time on this topic that is so not the point of what I'm trying to do. And I yeah. can't solve all the problems in the world, so I'm not going to solve this one. That That's the crowd I'm kind of talking about, right? Yeah. As opposed to the ones who are like, 
well, you know, I, you know, have a social conservative social agenda that they want to follow a social conservative reading of the Bible that then, you know, makes the two of them indistinguishable. How does yep. that, because look, there's 70 million evangelicals, right? Uh, and they're in a bunch of different churches and they're spread across the country and they cluster up in certain areas. And uh, it's not all the same everywhere. It's a really, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty bumpy path that makes up the evangelical path. How's it going with the people that are more conservative that pay attention to you? Yeah, I think uh, most of my peers, uh, theologically conservative evangelicals, there's a, a small percentage, a minority who see this as an aberration or as a uh, counter gospel in, in the guise of the gospel. Um, there's some who are really confused as what is even going on. Um, they, they kind of smell it in the, you know, yeah. in the atmosphere, but they're not really sure what it is. And I just heard somebody say Christian national, what is that? Is that different than patriotism? And, you know, they, they haven't thought about like American governance since their high school civics class. So like, what is nationalism anyways? And what's a nation? What's a state? Like there's a lot of people in just the confused category. There's the, um, probably what I would say is like the naive, this isn't impacting our church group. Uh, and I would just want to ask a few questions to that group. Like how often do you talk about political allegiances? How often do you raise issues that would be viewed as contrary to the Christian nationalist agenda? Um, and, and listen to your people. Like there's certain code words that people use to betray what they actually believe. Like things like, uh, you know, America is God's country. Oh, mm -hmm. Okay, well, what does that mean? Like, tell me more what you mean by that. Or this is a key one, uh, biblical application. So are your people reading about ancient Israel in the Old Testament and then directly applying certain promises to America uh, or, or rhetoric to America? You know, the like, are your people saying like, oh, if my people who are called by my name would repent, and then I'll heal their land. And then they say, so pastor, that's why our people need to repent. Yeah. They need to have a national day of repentance. Yeah. They're doing something there. Uh, and maybe under the surface, there is some, some, some malformed discipleship or some Christian nationalistic tendencies. Uh, most American Christian nationalism and evangelicalism does not present itself with an AR-15. It's, it, 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 it's much more subtle, which makes it, all the more important to pay attention. Yep. Uh, if my people are like going to riots with AR-15s ready to overthrow the government, I, I, it's easy to be like, yeah, that's not uh, this. We need to pay attention. Um, but if that's like a five and a, a one on the spectrum is like mm -hmm. applying second uh, chronicles to America, just recognize for some people, there's a pipeline from one yep. to the other. And if you don't get into it in, phase one, two, or three, some of your people may end up at the next January yeah. 6th. Yeah, that's uh, and right. that, that, that's a, and what's at risk. And, and if I could just appeal to the two conservative evangelicals that watch your program, Doug, um, for, <laughs> for, for any, call them by their first names. You might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Casey uh, and Gail. I would, <clears throat> I would just appeal to what, what is at stake is the witness of the church because we are living in a community that is conflating Christian nationalism with Christianity 
and it's and, and Christian nationalism is rife with hate speech, uh, fear mongering, toxic anxiety, and and an absolute commitment to sword power. And if you care at all about the witness of the church here in America and especially around the world, uh, you've got to pay attention to this stuff. Mm. So wise. Hey, any advice for people who aren't inside the evangelical world, but they look around and they see the churches in their neighborhood, they see their friends, their 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 kid is now going to an evangelical, you know, their teenage kid's now going to an evangelical youth group, and they're like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. Uh, any advice to them on, on not freaking out, or should they freak out, or anything about that? Because there's a lot of people who are just really... Look, there's a lot of conservative Christians who, if they meet a Muslim person, they get real nervous. There's a lot of progressives who, if they meet an evangelical, they get really nervous. Yep. Um, The the other day we did a hoedown uh, uh, kind of theme uh, square dance for the Uh yoga yoga studio that my wife runs. Right. So it was really fun. Had a collar uh, band. It was just great. Oh, and great. so we dressed up. So I have these boots that I wear in the Vogue Common Good world, which are these cowboy boots that have their flag cowboy boots on the sides. Oh, yes. And maybe yeah, you've seen them. It. They sell them at Boot Bar. Yeah. Um, and so I was wearing those, doing the setup and coming around. And there were a number of people mm-hmm. at that thing who said to me, I know you really well. And seeing you in those boots, it makes me so uncomfortable. I, I, right. I can't even tell Like, like just some indicator let alone uh-huh. if I was wearing, you know, a, 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 a vertical flag on my shirt, you know, um, that, you know, I said, I know these do look like I might be ready for the next insurrection. I, I kind of get it, but you know, we gotta, yeah. so there's people who just get really worried by seeing certain things. And for some folks that is the title evangelical or non-denominational or Bible believing or whatever. Yeah. Um, any, any advice for people who aren't in that world and keep bumping into these other folks? Yeah. I think for those, maybe you've got family members at the church. Um, one of the things that I, I would probably encourage is if there's a concern about the leadership, see if you can meet with the leadership and just ask a few simple questions. Like, where are you guys at with like power or immigration? There's, there's like a few shibble. Um, there's a few like, key questions you can ask to determine are they going to radicalize my child or are they just in good faith high view of scripture high christology like so just maybe a few questions around like hey where are you at with immigrants or refugees or one of those like surefire um like this will get a rise out of a christian nationalist questions uh and then that could maybe tell you where they're at on the spectrum i think for those who are just more you're just in community with evangelicals um, it would be the same encouragement that in a different direction uh, that Doug and I are saying, which is empathy and curiosity. Most of the evangelicals I know have been discipled into their current ideology. And they think that what they're doing is faithful to God. And they're doing, most folks are doing it in earnest. Uh, and they've never really talked to someone with a different opinion. And so if you're in a position to uh, safely uh, it may be worth a conversation like, hey, tell me what you're thinking about this thing, um, whatever spicy issue, you know, uh, mm-hmm. gender, sexuality, immigration, refugee care, um, because it's likely they've had very few conversations, if any, with someone outside of the tribe. 
and and yeah. and here's I can tell you this: an evangelical pastor who's served for over seventeen years, um, exposure to different ideas in 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 humanizing ways transforms people's lives. And so it may be that they've only ever heard about people who believe what you believe through people who are just like them. And totally. so just to meet a neighbor who's kind, compassionate, not like super judgy or con condemning, yep. just not being condemning would reframe their mind because most of them are told like, yeah, anyone who's like pro LGBTQIA or pro refugee, they all hate you. Yes. And so there's this like combativeness of like, well, I better shield up. So if you just like don't hate them and treat them humanely with compassion and curiosity, that that could, it doesn't always, but mm -hmm. it could uh, soften them or at least broaden their horizons. Well, almost everyone I know who's gone through a major change, it's true in my own life, um, religiously, um, people who've made changes about how they think about, I don't know, the food they eat or some social consciousness or the car they drive, whatever, something that used to be important to them and they changed on it. Yeah. There's just a few, what, when you get into people's stories, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you were, if you were kicking up with a bunch of anthropologists and sociologists and someone suggested you do some ethnographic research and you start asking them their stories and then comparing their stories with other people's, you start to see some similar patterns mm -hmm. emerge. And one of those patterns that emerges is normally someone takes in information that they didn't, um, uh, that, that was new to them. Yeah. Shockingly uh, 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 often these days, it comes in the form of documentaries and podcasts, strangely. Hmm. Like someone will be like, I watched a documentary, not even about the thing they changed on, you know, they'll just be like, hmm. I watched a documentary about plastics and all of a sudden, and that led me down this road and, you know, like it just, some new information comes in. But the other thing you're raising is that someone offered them a new invitation to behave mm -hmm. in a certain way. And it was yep. someone who they will tell you someone who was good to them. Almost always. And this would be the same way. If you have a friend who's been radicalized into deeper, you know, what I would worry about is Trumpism or Christian nationalism or the combination of the two, they'll have the same story. If, if you're like, what happened to these people? This is what's happened. I, I promise right. you, the same thing went on, uh, because it's this. This is just how human beings are. This is not content dependent, right? right. Like that. That's right. the thing. A lot of us tend to think. We we think it's the ideas. Like we're, we're like, well, it's the stuff they're saying on social media. It's the stuff right. they're saying on Fox News. It's the stuff that's coming out of these churches. That it's not the information. I mean, you, you and I are both in the world of this. We're like, we're, we promise you, it's not the information. We're in the information business. Right. <laughs> It's the way, it's what that information is in service of, which is this thing that someone who cares about the things they care about feels like they're on their side. So I, I just want to amen your, uh, your sensibilities about that and, and let people know that fundamentally, th this is about systems and structures and powers and principalities. Yep. But all that happens through human beings in contact with other human beings. Yep. I'm, about to, I'm about to go all Christmas on you here and say, yeah, this idea... <laughs> Uh, that the word became flesh uh, uh, and yeah, dwelt among uh, uh, us. Uh, Merry like Christmas. That that whole thing is more than just a theological statement. It's also an explanation about how it happens. Yeah. Someone dwells among you, and the mm. ideas are manifest in a human being that you start interacting with. Yep. And to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. Da, 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 da. Like that, Amen. that's right. That that's the, 
That's the part. I mean, that's how, that's partly why I stay in the Christian narrative because it's just right about a lot of the things that I think really matter, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that is one of them. Uh, that is, that is the humanizing relational narrative that is fundamental to the, mm. to, to the human experience. All right. Hey, we, we've been going on this podcast now for an hour and 43 seconds, uh, just in this Dang, interview, Tina. let alone whatever I did on the, uh, on the longer bit. I have a very precise internal clock. Okay. Um, and there's a timer running. Uh, but you also, but you also run a podcast. Uh, do you yes, want to say anything about Leviathan. that podcast? What's up? You want to say anything about that podcast for people that might yeah. want to listen to more than one? It's certainly not as good as the Common Good podcast, um, oh. but uh, probably a Just few have rungs reasonable down. standards. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's disarming Leviathan. Uh, it the word Leviathan is quite rare in the podcast world. So if you just search disarming Leviathan, you will find it. No matter how you spell it, it'll still probably yeah. be the only one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then you can find uh, some of it, uh, most of it on the uh, Disarming Leviathan website, which is disarmingleviathan.com. Yep. And and what what will people hear on that podcast? What, what, yep. What's the so style? Our, yeah. So I interview folks who've done historical, sociological, theological, um, and different different frameworks around Christian nationalism, viewing the prism of Christian nationalism through different uh, angles uh, and ask them to help us at the street level uh, understand what's going on and then also understand uh, and learn methods for engaging American Christian nationalists in our mm -hmm. lives um, with hospitality, curiosity, compassion. Uh, and so real boots on the ground type, type training. I'm just struck by three years ago, you, this wasn't in your space, as you said at the start of the interview. And now you've written a book about it. There's a dot com or dot org and a podcast. You're you are in deep in the yeah. nationalism world now. Diving deep, swimming how, with Leviathan, baby. How does that feel? Do you feel like uh, it's a season? I can't wait to get out of it. No, I mean, I, I think this. I think Christian nationalism, the rot goes so deep in the American yeah. uh, DNA that this will probably be. Like it'll probably be my grandkids who see yeah. some of the fruit of it long-term yeah. um, just because it's been part of the system for so long. So yeah. I'm probably a lifer, but we'll see. Yeah. Maybe and it I'll feels to me, to I, don't, I don't know if you, if you think, if, if you would agree with this, I feel like there's a new variant since 2010 or so. And it kind of comes through some of the groups we've talked about, Michael Flynn, Turning Point USA, a number of others. Mm -hmm. if, if, you were if, you were an, if we were infectious disease people, or public health people, we would really be queued up to, you know, like a, a pandemic forming out of a coronavirus right. that's novel. Mm -hmm. But remember in the early days when people were telling you you should open the church back up in that April, people were like, what's a coronavirus? Remember when they even right. called it Rona and stuff? Yeah. And people were like, well, actually a coronavirus is the common cold. The common cold is a coronavirus, is a coronavirus right? Because it's a style of virus that had a particular variant to it that mm -hmm. carried this. Right. I feel like Christian nationalism's always around. Yep. But there's a new variant that's been fueled and funded by things in the last 10 years and really the last four or five and is is really in its nascent stage right now and is ready to 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 go wild in a way that we haven't seen before. I don't I don't know if you see it that way. Uh, uh um but I I think there's something new afoot right now in how people yep. are framing up what this means. Yep. If you don't make any comment about that, you're welcome to, or we'll just stop talking now. No, I think I think that um, one scholar says that nationalism rises out of the seedbed of anxiety around pluralism. 
And so America, 250 years, becoming more and more in alignment with its founding principles of liberty for all, and everybody gets in. And the thing that binds us together as a, as a people is not our common ethnicity, culture, or bloodline, but the thing that binds us together is an idea. And early on, I could say that, you know, 200 years ago, I could say that, but not be confronted with people who are dramatically culturally different than me, ethnically different, religiously different. And now here, 250 years later, we've, we've seen principal pluralism grow radically different, a, a, a people group who are bound together by an, by an idea, but are radically different in their, their practices, their rhythms, their value systems, their speech, their music, their food. And so a lot of people get anxious that their way of being in the world mm. is under imminent threat. Mm. And Christian nationalism is the low hanging sword that they will reach for in order to protect and propagate their way of being in the world. And so I think that as pluralism continues to rise in America, you'll also mm. see people opting for a version of American Christian, Christian nationalism in order to self-protect mm. because their identity is tied up with, while they may say they're American, they actually have a subset Hmm. of what that truly means to be American. And they, they use Christian as the modifier. Yeah, there you go. Uh, they, in reality, it's, it's actually not, the, the religious stuff is actually just in service of the tribal identity. Yeah. And, and, and that's, yeah. So I, I yeah. think you're right, Doug, that it will continue to grow as the diversity of America continues to grow. Yeah, and the, and the content is changing. Like the things Christian nationalists are saying now oh, versus yeah. what the Christian nationalists said yes. during the In God We Trust movement to put it on yes. currency. Like it is now it. unprincipled. Yes. It, it, used to, it used to give the appearance of yeah. religious devotion and piety. Yeah. Uh, and now that's all out the window. Now it's just power. It's, it's naked power. It's just power. Yep. 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 Well, I'd love to talk about that whole story because I think the story of America, America has been one of... Uh, the kind of pluralism that we currently have. There, there was a period of time, you know, 115 years ago, less, when people with Italian heritage were not considered white. Right. Irish yep. were not Irish, considered. Russian, were not yep. considered white. Polish people. When I grew up, there was a big movement where I lived. People are like, "You got to stop making Polish jokes, Polak jokes. Like it's totally racially." Mm -hmm. Like when I was a kid, like in the 70s, people were like, "That's got to stop." Like we're we're, right. we're we're done picking on the you know on the Polish people. We moved on to. You know, there's still other jokes you can make, but you can't do it about the Polish people. Right. So we've right. always had this thing and we've had a way of accommodating and Christian nationalism has always shown up. And there's a new kind of pluralism that now has power behind it. And I think a lot of it goes back to the successes of integration in this country. And I think a lot of it yep. actually goes back to the election of Barack Obama. Um, that thing that a lot of us were like, "Woo, we can now exhale. There was right. a whole bunch of people, yes. including Donald right. Trump himself, who was like, this is it. Now we threat. pounce and now yeah. we say, okay, it's gotten out of control. Like there's a whole thing that's created a whole new variant of this, which then also has a bunch of people who aren't, don't identify as white. A lot of Latino right. and Hispanic churches, a lot of black churches deep into yep. Christian nationalism stuff, which totally. blows people's minds who conflate white nationalism with Christian nationalism and white Christian nationalism and all this. They're like, what? So anyway, th there's a thing. It's, it is, yep. it is so variant and widespread and it's almost like the virus is in all of us, you know, and some of us are going to get infected and some aren't, I don't know. There's a, there's a metaphor, like but that. I don't think there's a N95 mask for Christian nationalism. I think 
I think the I think the protection has to come on the inside, not on the outside. I think hey, you're right. Hey, we might be on yeah. something there. We might be on another four. All right, ready to be done? I'm all good. Hey, hey, thanks. Okay, I'm, I'll do a closing with the good people that are around, and we'll chit chat about this. And so we'll just cool. say we're done now. Thanks, Doug. Man, how about that? Isn't he a just a gem? What a what a great spirit! What a great character! What a great attitude! Hope you loved it uh, as much as I did. Um, yeah, so much there. I'm t- I'll tell you. I mean, I was watching it again, um, but also making breakfast and eating breakfast while I was doing it. So it was like maybe what a lot of you get to do while you watch the uh, watch the podcast in real time. Um, and there would be times I would just stop and be enthralled with what he was saying. I just thought it was tremendous. Uh, super helpful. Thanks for all the people that were in the chat. Hey, I just want to make one comment. There was a nice little string in here about um, – uh, Mike brought up, you know, do we, if we're going to love people, then does it have to follow that we like them? Uh, look, I, here's here's my take on this. Um, no, you don't have to like everyone. But if you're going to endeavor into relationships to impact someone toward a different way of thinking, living, or being, which is a fine thing to do. We all do it all the time on varieties of topics. If you're going to do that, then it becomes imperative that you like the person. If you're trying to change someone for the better, if you're trying to engage them, if you're trying to exchange uh, ideas and mutuality, you need to start with the sense that there's some affinity between you. If there's not, then wait to endeavor in the project of impact and change. That's, that was the argument, or that, that was the point that I, that I was trying to make, and I think the point that Caleb was trying to make. Not that everybody has to do it. It might not be your work to do. There's a whole lot of people I don't want to spend any time or energy trying to impact about any manner of things, whether it's spirituality, how we live in the world, politics, guitar playing, running. Don't want to spend any time. But if I try to endeavor to have an impact on that person— but deep down in my heart, I'm like, and I kind of can't stand you. Well, I, I need to pull back. I need to pull back on the uh, impact them until I can get some sort of um, sense of liking them. Anyway, that's my that's my take. Maybe we'll do a whole podcast on that sometime, and just do comments and conversation about that. That sounds actually sounds like a thing we'll do. Uh, let's let's plan on that in the next couple of weeks. All right. Hey, thanks to all of you for all your all your goodness and uh, for being a part of the. The Common Good Podcast. We hope you're hearing from really great people. We hope it's a wide variety. This week alone, spectacular. I mean, last week, from last Thursday with Chris, with astrophysicist Paul Wallace, Monday with Genesis B, Tuesday with Rob Ryer C on politics, and today with Caleb. I know they were all on at different times, and everybody couldn't watch all of them live, but hey, not a bad run for the last five days, uh, six days on the Common Good Podcast. And we only do it because you all pay attention. So thanks for being a part of it. And uh, follow us over at votecommongood.com. Again, our email list. We'll be in touch with you multiple times a week, not only this way. So uh, thanks for all you do. uh, And uh, hey, do your best to vote common good.